Hello. Hey, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Yeah? Yeah, I've just been uh, on the internet this morning arguing about the Beatles with some dingalings. Hmm. I want to hear about that. I thought you were explaining the universe to your daughter today. Oh, well, I started doing that, and then it made me think that I needed... That what was more important was to straighten out some dinglings <laughs> on the top of the Beatles. Yeah, I was trying to, you know, I, I got the globe out. She said, um, where does the sun go? And that seemed like a reasonable question. So I got the globe out and I got a baseball. And I said, here's the earth and here's where we live. And the moon goes around the earth like this baseball. But the sun, and then I put, I took a headlamp, and I put the headlamp on, <laughs> and I stood far away from the globe, and I was pointing the headlamp at Seattle, and I said, when the sun shines on Seattle, it's because it's a big, fiery ball that's far away. But then the globe turns, and you're, you don't see the sun, because it's on the other side. But then the baseball of the moon can always see the sun and so the baseball, and then I'm shining the headlamp on the baseball. I'm like, see, Seattle's in the dark, but the baseball can see the sun. And then she said, why do we live on a ball? <laughs> and I felt like that was a really good question. And the more I thought about it, the less I even had a pithy answer for why we live on, the, on a ball. And eventually I said... We were born on a ball, and we will die on a ball. <laughs> and no one, every single person that you know, every single thing that you know, was born on a ball. No one knows why. We'll all die on this ball without ever knowing why. <laughs> End of conversation. No, I don't think so. I think it's only the beginning. <laughs> she took that and looked thoughtful and kind of wandered off to think about it. It kind of makes me see the appeal of the whole flat earth thing though. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, I could sit and explain, explain that the earth is a, a piece of paper. And if you go to the ends, you'll fall off. But that, is, that makes no more sense. Yeah. But what about That's, Santa? Well, you, you bring up a good question because <clears throat> the, the, here's the problem. On the one hand, I know that I am not smarter than everyone on Earth. But on the other hand, I don't actually believe that. Which part? So, the Santa part? No, the, the fact that I'm not smarter than everybody on the oh. Earth. So on the one hand, I feel like I am trying to reinvent Christmas. And I, I know that I am, I am one of many, many, many people throughout history who have said Christmas is dumb Aspects of it are great. I would just like to take those aspects that I like and revisit a kind of pagan animist solstice holiday. But also, you know, like as Hodgman says, slowly kill a tree in my house. You know, practice Christmas in some of its splendor, but without succumbing to all the nightmare, but at the same time, I know that I, I, I like I, I know that hubristic people throughout history have tried to do this, and they all end up at Grandma's house 
opening package after package of socks while their children are showered with Barbies. Yeah, like, that, that does seem pretty unfair. It, it, almost, it almost seems like like there's nothing I can do, even at, like we march knowingly into catastrophe because the only other option is that you completely reinvent the world and celebrate Festivus. But anyway, has met Santa a couple of times. Really? And um, has not been particularly interested or thrilled. Oh, my kid is very uninterested in hanging with Santa. Well, here's the thing she about did, she Santa. She did it once and it did not go well. I don't well, know she if, was you, one. If, if you've noticed, when you get up close to the real life Santas, the, the department store Santas, I feel like most of the time they are old Jewish men and they are drunk. Like in, in it's the general. only it's the only way they can deal with that cognitive dissonance. Yeah, we went to Boeing Field the other day because Santa was Santa was coming, and uh, there were two thousand kids there to see Santa arrive. And I'm standing there. I'm like, well, Santa, there's there's going to be an airplane, which is going to be interesting, but then Santa's going to get out, and who? Nobody's. I mean, like. My baby is not going to care. And my baby's mother, standing there, said, I swear to you, what do you mean Santa's arriving in an airplane? And I said, do you think that they have figured out a way to get reindeer to fly? What do you think is going to happen? Well, it's, it's Seattle. What would you expect? That's yeah, of course you'd arrive on a plane. We're at the airport, and I honestly think that this adult woman had not fully considered what exactly was about to happen. Like she, she maybe was holding out a little bit of expectation that there would be reindeer. But in any case, Santa did arrive in a yellow de Havilland beaver, which is a wonderful airplane and was thrilled to see the airplane. And I was thrilled. It was a very, it was a beautiful beaver, hmm. highly polished. Is this a seaplane? No. It can be made into a seaplane, but the de Havilland Beaver is one of the great airplanes. It is a Canadian airplane. They don't make them anymore. They're classic airplanes, but every one of them is still, every one they ever made is still flying because all pilots recognize that this is the great, the de Havilland Beaver is the great bush plane. Like they, I don't know how many of them they made, but I swear to you, they are all still in the air because people polish them to within an inch of their lives because they're the perfect. They're the perfect plane. It's the Stradivarius of uh, bush planes. Exactly, the Stradivarius of bush planes, the De Havilland Beaver. It has a rotary engine, and nothing can compare to the sound of a rotary engine in full flight, in full song. Anyway, this plane shows up. Santa gets down out of the plane with his, with Mrs. Claus, and right away. You see, Mrs. Claus's outfit does not match Santa's outfit. They are different velvets. Might be a second marriage. Well, you have to figure, though, even if, even if, it's, even if it's second Mrs. Claus, the first thing she's going to do, I mean, I'm not, I don't know women uh, 100%, <laughs> but, uh, but 94% I know, the first thing she's going to do is if, if his Santa Claus outfit was made by his first wife, she's going to make him a new one that matches hers. You know what I mean? Like, this is just basic clause science. Mm. 
So her velvet outfit and his Santa suit are different velvets, and right away... Wait, was like, she foxy? No, she was a little old lady, hmm. Mrs. Claus. The second thing I noticed is that Santa is a Jewish man. And I know that from, you know, from my studies of phrenology. <laughs> <laughs> and that he's also drunk. <laughs> he wasn't piloting the Davlin, was he? He wasn't piloting the plane. He was, and also, Santa was riding in the back. He wasn't even co-piloting. He was riding in the back like luggage. Yeah. And then his elves are just two children that are clearly his grandchildren. Not elves at all, but children. And so I'm thinking, I put on my hat for this. I got, I got out of my house, my you, comfortable house. You can house. get away with a lot of shit when you're pretending to be Santa. So yeah, so he comes, he works the line. He's a great, he's very nice. He tells everybody, you know, he's like pre-selling the, like, are you going to come see me at the Santa thing? You know, he doesn't really, he didn't really talk like my dad. He talked <laughs> like Santa, more like a Jewish Santa. Uh, and I'm thinking, you know, I was more interested in the airplane. And I am too. But then, as he as he marches off, I'm 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 back to thinking. I'm, I'm I'm caught in this world of like, do I? I'm I'm busy trying to explain to her that the moon is a baseball. But with my other hand, I'm going to tell her that Santa Claus is real. Well, I, I brought it up for a reason. I think they both have a lot in common, especially in that uh, there are certain facts in the world that grownups you know, kind of know, or, uh, you know, learned people who are grownups know. But, you know, honestly, in the case of the solar system, and mm. I do like the fact that you were, in fact, the center of that solar system in your mm-hmm. description. Uh, the, with a headlamp on. <laughs> right. But uh, in, with both Santa and the solar system, it's only the grownups that are troubled, really troubled, by not being able to explain uh, all of the inconsistencies. Yeah, I think I think I mean maybe maybe it's different with the Earth, but I mean there's kids every day. There's so much shit that a little kid does not understand. Even if you explain something really simple flawlessly, and there aren't that many things that are that simple that you can explain flawlessly, still they still don't understand. They're still going to have some great question, some kind of you know Steve Allen type question or Bill Cosby type question <laughs> that's going to make you feel like a dumbass no matter Putting what. Pops. <laughs> but you know they say they do say the darndest things but you know the um I, you know i just think about like the kind of like media that she consumes like she understands that like cartoon reality you know like what you can do to hit somebody with a mallet in a cartoon is not the same thing i hope that she could do to me with a mallet she, well your she, little girl is old enough to understand that my little girl still does not still would happily hit me with a mallet she believes in the single mallet theory (laughs) well the 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 thing i'm i guess i'm wrestling with as i have considered christmas is that when i was growing up even though we were a pretty secular house i mean my mom took us to church because church was a social thing in her own childhood and she didn't want to deprive us of like methodism or whatever <laughs> she didn't want to deprive us of the hymns um but i remember a- as a kid you know seven eight nine years old you know during the 70s obviously christianity was still in it still pervaded the popular culture around christmas time there was no there was no prohibition against talking about the baby jesus on in primetime TV. Right. And when you said happy holidays, you knew you really meant Merry Christmas. You mean Merry Christmas. And 
and in in fact like there was a tremendous amount of like sanctimonious religiosity in in every i mean at, at the end of the happy days christmas special or whatever they all the camera zoomed in on the star at the top of the tree and there was some admonition that we should remember the reason for the season or whatever it was very you know jesus was at the center of the game until the culture wars uh and the and the um you know the feminazis yeah uh and the islama nazis took jesus away i guess so but i mean even if you go back to well no absolutely it's definitely the feminazis to blame but i mean yeah. if you go back to you know the show the charlie brown christmas and the way that they handle you know the shepherds abiding in the field it, it it's jesus is not the center of even like little drummer boy he is but he's the center of it as like a little baby it's not it's not that the savior I mean, I guess it is in some sense, mm-hmm. but it's always, I think it's always been coded because it's always been a little bit complicated. But some, well, some, some, something interesting you said, though, I want to make sure not to lose, though, is that when you describe like having to try and like make your peace with some version of Christmas that, that isn't, you know, totally disgusting, like I, I kind of think that's what everybody ha- does. And I think it's kind of what everybody has always done. Well, but this is, so this is my challenge because I, some of my favorite memories as a kid are solitary moments that I spent in a in a dark room, <laughs> sitting, sitting with your disappointment and confusion. Yeah, this applies uh, uh, throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Some of my favorite moments are sitting alone in a dark room, but but around Christmas time, especially like being there with the tree, and the lights are off, and the tree is blinking, and it's quiet outside, and maybe the snow is coming down. But really striving inside myself to find, uh, to, to access the sacred, to find, I understood that it was a holiday about God and about um, the, you know, about the, the, the higher ups, like the higher up ideas of selflessness and giving and sacrifice and even if i even as a kid i didn't have all the judeo christian um language but i understood that that's what we were trying to that that was the practice of christmas and we were trying to access those um those ideas in ourselves and those feelings and so that's and and you know and it the thing about december is it is in a lot of ways, a very sacred feeling time. It's the darkest day of the year. It is the... We're very vulnerable in December. Yeah. And, and, and it feels, you know, it is the, in, in a way, the quietest month. Everything is sleeping. And so that feeling, which, which was connected to this, this goulash of culture... A little bit baby Jesus, a little bit star of Bethlehem, which it wasn't clear what the star of Bethlehem was exactly, but it was something in the sky that was both beautiful and also like awesome. And all these Middle Eastern uh, stories, but also Santa and the stores and the bells and da 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 da, and it all it all comes together to create this very powerful and, and for me very personal uh thing 
that I wouldn't want to deprive my child of. Mm-hmm. You know, like that was the one time of year where I I would legitimately kind of sit myself down, close my eyes, turn my face to heaven and say, are you there, God? It's me. It's me. John. Uh, Mar- Margantha. Mar- Mark Genthrick. You're, you're open. You're open. You're giving him a shot. You're saying, here's yeah, your chance. Look, and, you and, it's time and, to go to the big game. And like opening the heart and saying, uh, I want to be generous. I want to love instead of hate. I want to, you know, all these things. I was reading this fascinating article the other day about a Japanese Zero pilot during Pearl Harbor who crashed his plane on a Hawaiian island after bombing Pearl Harbor. Crashed, you know, he was like, basically, his plane was disabled and he crashed on this Hawaiian island that did not have a telephone. And there were about 150 native Hawaiians that lived on this island. And three Japanese people, two of them born in America, one a Japanese immigrant who were living together with the Hawaiians on this island. And this pilot crashes his plane there. And they don't know about Pearl Harbor. It hasn't, they haven't, they didn't get a phone call and it hasn't, you know, their shortwave radio has to wait until the, you know, until two o'clock in the morning to work or whatever. And so this pilot crashes his plane and everybody's like, oh, how unfortunate. Uh, we should, like, we should help this person. We, we, we don't speak, he doesn't speak English. The Hawaiians didn't speak Japanese. So they're like, let's help this downed pilot. And they bring him into town. And somebody's like, well, let's go fetch the, the, those Japanese people and maybe they can talk to him. And so the, the Japanese who were living on the island come talk to the pilot, figure out what happened. The pilot enlists them in a scheme to like get his, get his papers back from the, the chief of the Island and burn the plane. And like, and and basically these three Japanese conspire with the pilot. It ends up in a battle between the, the, the native Hawaiians and these and the, the pilot and his conspirators and on the basis of this incident, this was the justification or part of the justification that the Department of War used to start talking about internment camps. Because on Pearl Harbor Day, an actual incident where a, a okay. Japanese pilot crashed on an island and... And native, uh, you know, like born in America, people of Japanese descent came to his aid against their neighbors. And so this is cited as like a a little known incident, but that was in all the memos that went to Washington that were like, you know, the Japanese in San Francisco, if there's an invasion, can we can we trust them or whatever? Does this but, turn into a happy Christmas story? Because because it, it sounds <laughs> up until about ninety seconds ago, you really had me. I thought okay. I thought I thought what was going to happen was he would <laughs> land, yeah. he would get out, 
he'd yeah. uh, he, he would realize he'd see, that the, his, see he, the star in the sky. Well, <laughs> let's not oversimplify it. He he would crash land lightly and yeah. think, okay, I need to repair my plane, but for now I'm going to dress up as a Dickensian character <laughs> and fit in. And, and while he was waiting for his part to arrive uh, from from Tokyo, uh, that that he would learn the true meaning of Christmas well, and that he would be embraced. And it would be kind of like uh, the Grinch meets Tora Tora Tora. There is, there actually is a, uh, there, is, there, there is a version of that story coming <laughs> out, of the, out of the end of this story. So, okay. and Tora 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 actually figures into it because, <laughs> because it's three hours long. <laughs> because as I was researching this story and, and feeling like, wow, this complicates matters for me now. This is, this complicates this story that we are, we've been telling ourselves for the last, 70 years which was that the i mean obviously the internment camps were an abomination but this is this is an incident that actually happened and uh and and the the aid and succor that these uh that the three local japanese provided this zero pilot was not incidental like they actually took up arms against their neighbors and you know this was this this was this affected people well anyway so as in the course of, re, of further researching this story to make sure that it's not just some that it, it, it's not some propagandized revisionism i learned that the pilot who led the assault on pearl harbor the 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 lead guy in the air he also, he, and he is the man who actually said Torah, Torah, Torah into his microphone. He's the, he, that's, his, that's his quote. And I forget his name. He went on to be in the Battle of Midway. He was, he fought in Burma. He became like, he was a, he was a hero in Japan. And after the war, as the American government was prosecuting Japanese uh, higher-ups for war crimes... This pilot took offense at the idea because he said, Shh, you know, this is, this is common in war, and surely the Americans tortured all their Japanese captives just as we tortured our American captives. And so he set about, after the war, to go interview all of the Japanese prisoners of war as they were repatriated. Hmm. And as he did, he found them all... He, he, he realized that their reports were that, in fact, no, they had not been tortured. They had been treated with tremendous kindness by their captors and fed and, and treated as, you know, as, as well as uh, American soldiers were being treated, except they were, you know, obviously they were in prison camps, but they weren't tortured. They weren't starved. They weren't interrogated. Death <laughs> they weren't death marched. And this... This pilot's after-war experiences uh, were. It was such a. It was so alien to his notion of the import, the central importance of revenge, as like the core, one of his core beliefs. Like vengeance is how you get justice, and if someone murders your family, you you have a, a bond of vengeance with them. And until you achieve that vengeance, you, your ancestors can't rest or whatever. And he was contrasting that with the, what he, what he took to be the overtly Christian 
idea of forgive your enemy and love your love your enemy and the experience was so profound that he became an evangelical christian what? And spent the rest of his life traveling the world. This is the guy who spearheaded the Pearl Harbor attack, spent the rest of his life traveling the world speaking as a, you know, like as a pretty powerful public speaker, like, yes, I bombed Pearl Harbor. And now I am, now I have learned to turn the other cheek and love my enemy. Wow. So, Yeah. It's a Christmas miracle. It was a Christmas miracle, and it all, and December 7th, you know, it was just a couple of weeks before Christmas. Maybe that's the Christmas story I, maybe that's the version of Christmas I need to introduce to my daughter. We don't, it's not really a Jesus story, it's more about this Japanese Zero pilot. Right. Well, I don't know. Well, you can, you can lead a, a, a huge surprise invasion. Uh, in a time of peace and then get away with it by by changing religions (laughs) it's it's certainly an option (laughs) interesting interesting story though interesting contrast very 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 interesting indeed um and that is and i think my instinct as we have covered at many times my my instinct is for vengeance mm -hmm. but uh, but i want i aspire to have my instinct be toward love. And anyway, this time of year was always the one time of year when I would really make a a concerted effort to like, and I think it's true for a lot of us get in the spirit of the season and get, you know, get some, get some love flowing. And I don't know how to integrate that. This is the problem with not believing in ghosts, but being scared of ghosts. How do you integrate this this message of you know like altruism and also connection with the higher power and tree worship like how do you how do you find a way to all of that outside of institutional religious practice I don't think it's that hard I mean it's Again, these are all things that are only problematic if you think it all needs to make sense. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, you know, who cares what anybody else wants to do for Christmas? I mean, you should do what makes your relatives happy or whatever, I guess. That, that, I think, okay, so here, here's one, one, one thing with this, and I don't want to obsess about Christmas. But the, the, uh, I, I think that the people who act as though this has always been a solemn event about celebrating the birth of the savior of the christian you know the christian savior jesus baby yeah but i mean like what is okay so when you get to the crux of what people what is what is the stick everybody has up their butt about christmas and it not being honored correctly at, at the heart of it it seems like what they're saying is you guys keep forgetting that christmas is really all about celebrating the birth of jesus who will eventually in a few years become the savior of humanity right. and who was in, actually born in september probably well but it, but in that framework i think what they're trying to say is those people are understandably i mean if that's what they believe i i get that um the problem is i think that histor- history is not in their favor right. i think i think i think one reason people are nominally in a have years for nominally been had their panties in a wad about christmas is because it was excellent cover to drink and 
And if they didn't have that supernal um, buy-in, then they would just seem like a bunch of drunks. But I mean, you look at what, what has Christmas been for like 200 years in the West. It's been about parties, really. Yeah, Did certainly it's been about, it's been to a certain extent, it's been about charity and stuff like that. But I mean, it, it, the, the birth of the Christian savior has not been at the center of Christmas for over a century. And to act any differently is just not sensible or historically accurate. There's always been people who are very loud about being mad that it's not more that way, but I don't think that's the way most people do it. Sure, there's t- tons of Jesus. You got Jesus everywhere. Yeah. But, 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 um, like, what do you, what is, you know, actually, you know, can I just say in passing, my wife has a really wackadoodle name for the manger scene I'd never heard. She calls it a, a, a crash. Yeah, that's the name for it. I've never heard that. I was totally a Christian and I'd never heard that. Crash? Crash. Really? Yeah. I thought that was the guy at the, uh, compound. No, 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 not Koresh, Kresh. Yeah. Uh, Never heard. Yeah, it's, uh, we had it's one a, in our home as, as, as Christians. It's a, it's a thing that, uh, it, 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 the, the Kresh became one of the bones of contention in the last 20 years because it used to be that you would have a Kresh in front of every, uh, small town city hall. As you do. And then people were mad because it was government property and government, it was, you know, government sponsored Kresh. And I have actually seen a few in small towns where instead of they're, they're very abstract, instead of taking it away, the very abstract ones. I have I, I've seen some where where different characters have been added to try and take away the sting. I've I, well I've seen well I haven't seen that like with and ret- so you know you end up retcon. with like there's like a Wookie there. Mm. <laughs> and, <laughs> You know, Marilyn Monroe is there, and pretty soon it's like, oh, there's, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on here. John I've, seen, I've seen ones where, like, I think they're trying to, like, get it in, like, under the radar screen, where it used to be, when I was a kid, you would have literal people sitting in a tableau with an angelic you know, usually fake baby sitting there because a baby couldn't do that kind of work. You'd have to use twins, right? Yeah. It would be like a, a, you know, like in Hollywood. But, uh, but no, it became more and more abstract until it was creepy, like where it was just like, you know, just completely iconic. But, um, it was just like 18 bowling pins all arranged. <laughs> exactly. Um, in a box a with a box and a camel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this is true. I, I read a story the other day about, um, where was it? Oh, I think it was Oklahoma. They had successfully, um, basically with private funding had allowed a 10 commandments. Did you read about this? A 10 commandments to be put. Oh, right in the center of the court or the state house, right? Yeah. And you hear, you hear once equal time. No Satanists. Oh, they do. They Satanist, want their 10 commandments. Of Satan <laughs> yeah. In they're, there? they're agreeing to raise twice as much money, 20,000 instead of $10,000 to put up their own, uh, thing to, to the memory of, or not to the memory, to the, uh, historical, and literary uh, Satan. Oh, sure. Not they're not talking about the fallen angel that used to sit at the right hand of God. They are talking about yeah. the literary Satan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> I guess they could get a guy in a red suit uh-huh. with a pitchfork. I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I, you know, I know you're a thinker, and you think, and I, they, I they think believe too, in Jesus but... in Oklahoma big time. Well, and that's that turns out that's the irony is that in trying to railroad that through in this kind of snickering, ha ha, you know, now we really got him way. Yeah. They've opened the door to all this other stuff, but I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's the other. So, so two quick things in passing. Uh, first of all, I've always, uh, well, in my late later adult years, I've always thought it's kind of strange that we have this incredibly solemn occasion in the dead of winter to celebrate the birth of Jesus, right. and then you've got you got the Easter bunny and eggs and the verdancy of of spring 
to celebrate his truly, truly horrible crucifixion death. Right, but he comes back. That's true. Both, yeah, and the thing about his, the thing about his they brought birth, back Brian the dog too on the, the Family thing, Guy show. You the like. thing about his birth, of course, is that it is the shortest day of the year, and then the days start getting longer. Like he is born, and also the the year is born. We are like born again in the sun. Sun is back, coming slowly. Oh, that's a good point. It's a baby sun on December twenty fifth. And then the sun is going to grow to become the adult sun of summer. Yeah. So it's all very like uh, it's all very tree forest chapel people. It's very tree people. <laughs> tree forest chapel people. <laughs> I love those guys. And uh, and then of course in spring that's when you really want to that's when you want to die die a, a gruesome and disfiguring death in the sun and then uh, then be reborn three days later. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's, I don't even have to explain what that's a metaphor for. Okay, how about this? So tell, tell me if you're on board with this. Part two, uh, you think about sitting around in that dark room, like, you know, feeling like an idiot going like, where, where is there? I'm opening my, I'm opening myself up to the idea that there's this bigger thing and that I should be a better person and you open up and there's all, all that stuff. I think a huge part of Christmas is feeling like shit. I think, I think what we must accept and uh, not just purely from strictly from like a, a, if you like sane mental health standpoint, but I think we also need to realize there's something inherently extremely sad about Christmas. There's something very, uh, there's yeah. so much nostalgia that people, what do you, th- you think about who's dead and not there anymore? Yeah. I think that's, that's what people don't acknowledge. That's what's ironic to me in some ways is like, okay, well, you know, believe what you want to believe. If you want to go get deals on Amazon, get deals on Amazon, whatever, Black Friday, whatever it is you want to do. Like if that's your thing, let that be your thing. Christmas lights, whatever that is. But also let's acknowledge that it's a very depressing time of year for a lot of people. Yeah. And and I think that's what gets lost. To me, that's the unhealthy part. Is not that I can't get my get my college educated brain around the idea of you know the 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 wizard in the sky sending his son down to save us then die. It's it's much more like I think it's a bummer that we don't acknowledge how morose and um, well, yes, mawkish, but also yeah. just just depressing Christmas is. It's really depressing. You'll never do it right. Your kid, my kid, will never be happy enough at, at what I've we bought her as a gift. She will never be into these things as much as would make me happy. I would love for more of my family who's dead to be around to see this. And I think that's what people don't aren't comfortable acknowledging is they feel like they should be all up and peppy and wearing a silly sweater and feeling great all the time. When I think most of us are stressed out and freaky and depressed a lot of the time. I, I mean, I'm not a depressive person, but I, it does make me very it's not solemn. What's the word? Reflective about yeah. like what I've lost in life. Melancholy melancholy yeah like but kind of reflect on what i've lost and will never get back merry christmas that's what i think about and i think i think most people are uncomfortable admitting that because they feel like they're being a holiday karma suck i i think that one of the the, one of the themes the the running themes in my life (laughs) i got a card here (laughs) (laughs) is that what growing up in alaska there is always a there's always somebody who is more of an outdoorsman than you. Right? And <laughs> the greater yeti theory. <laughs> there 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 is always somebody who is like who has slept outside more nights. And that is a that is a a, a hierarchy that goes all the way up to the literal grizzly adamses who make a living trapping animals in the winter with homemade snares. 
And so <clears throat> all you have to do is spend one night outside in the dead of winter in Alaska to realize that you, uh, that, that living in the city, living in your house, you are not living the same life at all as someone who is living on the, on the ragged edge of survival. Oh yeah. And although you, although you prefer the comfort, the fact is that in those moments when you are outside at night in the wilderness, in the winter, there is a solemnity to life that, that we do, that we take great pains to eliminate. You know, we build, we build houses, we heat them from inside, we, keep, we leave the lights on all night, and all of that is to banish this, this thing that we've talked about, you and I, many, many times, this feeling that the, that the stars are ambivalent to you, the feeling that you're going to fall off the earth, the feeling that, um, you know, and, and it isn't just, it isn't just a, a feeling of profound aloneness, it is like the, it is the core feeling of profundity at its heart, you know? And these guys who are living out in the wilderness, they are in touch with the, the immensity and the, uh, the immensity of creation, but also the enormity of it and being exposed to it as much as I have, which is not that much being, you know, an Alaskan and sort of like dragged out into the wilderness and then left standing rooted in spot, looking up at the Milky way and feeling like, Oh fuck. Like not only is the Milky way there, but it's also 40 below zero. And (laughs) right. And the, and the woods are full of predators and, uh, and my friends have left me. Like I am, (laughs) I am so out of the out of the the realm of like Black Friday right now and into a very different kind of Black Friday, a black mass. <laughs> and so so that solemnity is a thing that I want to impart, not just to my, the people who are close to me, but I want to share that with everybody I meet because I feel like most of us who live in the live in the present world are are almost completely divorced from it. And a lot of people have never experienced it, or or they have experienced it in in the uh, uh, that one time somebody drove the car up a dirt road and turned the lights off, yeah. and they all got out of the car and looked at the stars for a minute. But it's kind of bleakness tourism, right? Or 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 you're just like oh, and 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 it's it's even more scary and awesome because you have no context for it, and then you're like, get back in the car, turn the heater on, and turn the fucking radio on, and get me back. To the to the the world that I understand, which is one with a roof on it, mm-hmm. and so that's that solemnity, whatever that is, that connection with that that feeling of smallness and the feeling of like the yawning truth that we live on a ball and we don't know why, and and to not think about that every day is is just a factor of having drowned that out with a lot of high-pitched noise. You know, that that 200 years ago, we would have been confronted with it every day. 
because we would have been out plowing it or if we wanted to go somewhere after dark we would have, there you know you can hear the wolves at the edge of town and now we have drowned it out but we've drowned it out almost entirely with static and to to miss it to miss out on it is to miss out on the the thing about us, uh, something very very core about us something as real as as can be that that maybe isn't even there in the summer or is there in a different way in the summer so it's de- <clears throat> it's definitely much harder to get access to and 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 in winter you but i mean you can- know you can leave your you can leave your um like we don't have we don't have screens in our windows in san francisco you just open up your windows yeah. whenever you feel like it and stuff can come in but that sense of like i mean in a way to use that word again you're talking about a kind of abstraction where we get more and more layers of comfort and security that can make us that on the one hand make us feel yeah safe and secure and warm and all of those things but also are meant to make us feel like we'll never have that privation and we'll never. And consequently, I think kind of what you're saying that we'll never have to confront that existential void or let alone the fact that, you know, it's like the difference between, you know, spring kind of like uh, playing around in a little tidal pool versus understanding like what a wave can do to you. It's Uh like, that's like that, you know, the kind of like that's the cold is like water in that sense. It's like, you don't realize like how incredibly harsh the world is natively how right. harsh our existence ultimately is and so you know if you get enough christmas sweaters eventually you won't have to think about it well and Im- imagine all the the people that we know who are astronomy buffs space nerds who interact with space primarily by looking at hubble photos on the internet or you know uh, and how Although those Hubble photos and space photos and episodes of Cosmos are all extraordinary, the difference between looking at the most detailed photo, you know, color enhanced photograph of distant nebula is compared to standing out on a cold night and peering into a telescope at a blurry picture of Saturn or blurry view of Saturn. Which is, in some ways, like uh, pales in comparison. But on the other hand, if you've ever done, if you've ever stood out in the cold, shivering, looking at Saturn through a telescope, you know that it is, in a way, infinitely more profound than looking at these pictures of deep space in on, on a computer, because you're you're actually conscious of the distance, hmm. and you're conscious of the of the void and. Of the fact that it's real. It's not a special effect. It's not a game. I can't look up into the night sky without feeling terror, I guess. And it's not a it's not a terror that's uncomfortable. It's like a it's like a terror in a in a Greek sense of like, why do we not all feel terror all the time? Why, why shouldn't we? We should be terrified. We live on a freaking ball. And that should be a lot scarier, <laughs> I feel like. Yeah. And I feel like it was scary. It was very scary until very recently. 
Well, you, you've got, in, in describing that, you've got a lot of the core realization that people get in a religious setting hmm. without the supernal influence. Yeah. You've yeah. got that sense of immensity, the, the God that's bigger than God, that there's something that we can't get a name for that's bigger than, you know, not to be all Cartesian, but something that's bigger. If it's, if we can imagine it, that's not the thing. It's right. something bigger than that. It's something that has so much enormity. And, and if, if you don't feel small, you're not thinking hard enough. So, and it's one of the reasons that I couldn't, it's one of the reasons that when I when I think to myself, I should have been a physicist. It was the thing that I wanted to do, and what what stopped me was that in such in such quick succession, it was so easy to get myself into a place where I was asking questions that couldn't be answered, and that I had to content myself with discovering answers to questions that were further up the food chain like and i couldn't i couldn't be content seeking seeking the small uh flagstones um but that's really where i you know really where i would i would want to be and it's it's so sad it's so sad to know that we won't know that we cannot know. Mm, yeah. It's such a, I mean, that, that the melancholy in feeling like there are, uh, that, that we just can't know even the next scale up. Right. Like, yeah, totally. The, 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 uh, and the more, the, the more, you know, the more you realize you can't know. It's, yeah, it's what makes, it, it's what makes this physics like religion for atheists in some ways. Yeah. Right. But, uh, I don't know. I feel I feel uh, I feel like maybe I should just turn on my MP3 player and see if Kings of Leon have a new track. I thought they had long hair. I'm really confused. They might have. They might have cut it. I saw them it's, on the Saturday Night Live, and I think they must have. I think they must have lost their hair at JFK or something. They 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 were very shorn. I you know I had long hair a couple of years ago, and then I I cut it because it seemed like the only thing I was I was supposed to do that day. Mm-hmm. Like, huh? What was I supposed to do today? Oh, right, cut off this hair, and now I feel like, oh, what a dummy! I would have, I would have four feet of hair right now. Your long hair, with all due respect to to a man that I really respect, just sartorially, really in every way, it was cre- your hair got creepy, creepy, creepy. Is creepy the word that you mm. want to use? I not crazy or like cool. Are you sure it's not cool? The word you're looking for? Uh, yeah, probably cool. That's cool. probably you know six of one, creepy of the uh-huh. other. Creepy though. I mean, creepy. Uh, well, it was the tooth, also, John. Yeah. Okay. The missing tooth was creepy. <laughs> but, you know, it's 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 you know if you you got the baking soda and you got the vinegar, and as long <laughs> as you keep them apart, you don't have a volcano. But you. Man, that combination, that picture of you with, with my daughter is still one of yeah. my favorite things. Because, and you, you kind of part it in the middle in a real, uh, real Jesus kind of way, too. Uh, 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 uh. When you get a lot of hair, you, you end up, it parts itself in the middle. That's the thing. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Just because of the weight? Yeah, you can, you can try and like part it different places, but eventually it's going to just, it's going to, it's going to fall into that Rosanna, Rosanna, Dana. Huh. Hair. Oh, I, you know, I've been I've been playing at having slightly longer hair, and it's really not working out. 
Really? Yeah. I mean, it just does not look good on a man my age. Merlin, not not long hair, not long hair, but I couldn't, I don't think I could get to long hair. I just, I couldn't take it. I'm and, not kissing your ass when I say this, yeah. but I have never seen you with a hairstyle or a, or a version of like scruffy scruff that I didn't think was cool looking. Oh, God, thank you, John. That means the world to me. I, I My hair is atrocious right now. Sometimes your hair is short. Sometimes it's long. Sometimes <sighs> yeah. it's mussy. Sometimes it's mussier. I got, commun- I, got, I got serious communication problems with my operator, and I, I've, I need to. I need to. I hate to say it. I, I have to go. I think look at some other options. Your your operator. You mean the man who sits in a little chair and drives the Merlin from inside? <laughs> I can talk about Doctor Who. <laughs> there, your there's a, no the 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 lady who who, who cuts my hair. Oh, and that's a twelve dollar haircut. Huh, and uh, believe me, for? <laughs> she does not owe me a nickel. It's anyway. It's I, I should do something about it. <laughs> but see, this is the beauty of, of you, you know, being a professional entertainer is you can do things like that, and it'll be entertaining to people if you get long hair. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Well, and the thing about long hair on a man my size is it instantly conjures a Rasputin like. Um, Severity. I think that's your personality. Oh, really? No, I mean not in a bad way, but uh, you, you might be right. No, 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 no. I mean, I think it's very flattering. I think you have a very uh, intimidating presence to begin with, but when you have a deliberately missing tooth, yeah, and like shoulder length hair, yeah, yeah. I think people start really imagining themselves in a garbage bag. You know, when they see that coming. <laughs> Yeah, although I wouldn't waste a garbage bag on most people. No, <laughs> is that right? Yeah, I feel like what, the garbage bag is just something that the raccoons are going to have to tear through. Mm-hmm. You might as well just save everybody the pollution and just just put the body in a river. Oh, that's so nice. An environmental Rasputin. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I, I've been thinking a lot about the life of an entertainer lately because... <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, or rather fortunately, I have a lot of big plans now. I'm feeling better. I'm, I'm feeling uh, like, like engaging, but as you know, feeling like engaging and engaging Mm. are, uh, are different and engaging even engagement is a process that it's a, it's an everyday process. I wake up yesterday and I engage and then I wake up today and I forget to. You're not feeling quite as engagey. And then it's like, oh fuck, I have to do this every day. Are you talking about like, like, like when you, you like one reason our our listeners may not know we haven't had a recording in a while is partly because you've been you've been traveling a lot. I've been working. Well, yeah, we're traveling for traveling for. Work. I think you're always working in some way, John. Thank you, Marilyn. I think you're you're out there playing on the fields even if there's no crop really. Well, what what the you show the, up every day, right? Rough I do. Hands, I, rough I show hands. up. I show, show up. One of the things our listeners should be made aware of is that you and I are going to do a live version of Roderick on the Line. Let me take a minute to tell you a little bit about our sponsor today. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do that now. Do, I should yeah, write down the San dates Francisco's for that. San Francisco's Sketch Fest. Mm-hmm. We are going to be underpaid and overused mm. at Sketch Fest. Well, that's just the nature of a festival. <laughs> uh, until, really of, of, of all festivals until you reach a certain point where you are overpaid and underused that's why carney carneys really just do it for the love of the craft that's why right. they, they love they love the game do, do you have those uh i mean i this is we're kind of breaking the fifth or sixth wall here but yeah. uh when is that 
We should tell people about this. Oh, it's at the end of January. So we're doing two shows, the 30th and the 31st in San Francisco, live. But it has, it has the idea of, of agreeing to do those shows has, in me, ignited a feeling uh, that, you know, and, I, and, I, and you and I have talked about it, a feeling that we should, we should uh, start to think about live performance as one of the things that we do. Yeah, we should, we should, we should do this show. This we should do show. the show live in different locations. Let's not go crazy. No, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. I, I but, you know, yeah, I don't then, like to pre-announce, but I think that's a very good idea. I think this is a great way to kick off our our, our jubilee year, two thousand fourteen. It's going to be a huge year. But this has this has then suggested to me that I should do a regular show because because playing these long winters reunion shows has reminded me that I am an electric guitar player, and for the last few years I've been. <laughs> getting by strumming my acoustic guitar and singing, which is a thing I enjoy. But I am an electric guitar player. <laughs> Especially when you say it that way. I play the electric guitar. No, you play the guitar electrically is what you do. I like play you... the shit out of the electric yes. guitar. And the thing about having a rock band is it's very expensive to to house and feed all these people. Um but, well, and yeah, and yeah, you have to keep. You have to feed them. You have to have, give them a place to sleep. You got to. They have to have their medicine. They have to have their medicine. You have to talk nicely to them yeah. at a certain point every day to remind them that you like them and care about them. And <laughs> have to live with the constant expectation of apologies. Yeah, you have to. And sometimes somebody has to go to the bathroom, and everybody else doesn't have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but what are you going to do? Tell him he can't go to the bathroom? No, you have to pull over. But all of that is necessary if you want to play the shit out of the electric guitar in front of people, because nobody wants to see you do that in front of a drum machine. Anyway, so I'm trying to think of like, okay, here, here we are. It's a brand new year. We're starting a new year. This is going to be Jubilee year. Want to start getting out there. Want to start performing. And, uh, and then that just brings the whole, it's just the whole glacier of performance starts calving off into the Bristol Bay of my ennui. Had <laughs> 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 a little moment there. <laughs> wow. Where's my orange bell? Somebody stole my orange bell. She quit traveling and working. Who's been in my house? Huh. Um, but you know, if you do it enough and you're getting paid for it, then it is, it's like a job. The, the pain in the ass part is where, in my experience, is the pain in the ass part is like having to go somewhere for like a day. Yeah. Well, I see, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, boy, this is the hard part. Trying to lower my expectations about money and return to a time when what I believed in was art. Hmm. And I remember many, many long, long, passionate conversations with people in cafes over export a over a pack of export a cigarettes and forty cups of coffee, uh, where we were talking about art and we meant it. Hmm. It was hmm. serious business. And um, somewhere along the line, there the word art got quotation marks around it because it was unseemly to talk about art if you were in the pop vernacular and then quotation marks got put around everything for many years there quote unquote everything 
and uh, and now I'm trying to clear away this like snowstorm of quotation marks and find whatever is there whatever is behind this this blizzard and i want to you know like i want to care about i want to care about art and entertainment and figure once again as i used to figure that the that the, not only will the money follow, but even appreciation will follow. People don't appreciate it at first. Some people do. Well, uh, I, I think I accidentally derailed you. So, so you're not going to do. You're not going to be like Santana, just showing up and doing solos <laughs> for for your electrical guitar playing. What, what what's your what's your plan for doing a regular show? Is that like a what's that what's like what's that guy that plays all the uh, that guy at the Largo that kind of thing? Like oh, you're going to do right, a, the John Bryan thing? Is that what you would do? Would you host? Would you host an event? Oh God, I don't think that. <laughs> was that you were just doing Allentown. <laughs> 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 well, we're living in John Bryan <laughs> town. <laughs> A harmonium is closing so down. <laughs> I that this is the thing I don't know. The, the, so there's a venue here in Seattle called the Rendezvous, which is a very small room. It's probably it's it was built originally as a screening room because Seattle was a town where Hollywood movies in the twenties. And 30s, they would screen those movies here in Seattle before they went into wide release. And so Seattle had a whole little constellation of tiny theaters that were built just to show Errol Flynn movies um, to a select crowd and judging on their, you know, based on their reaction, then they would... It'd do another edit or whatever. So oh, there are, it was like like a like a test market. You're like beta testers for Errol Flynn movies, right? And so there there used to be a whole slew of these little like fifty to eighty capacity theaters that were done in high Egyptian style, and most of them are gone. But the, this one remains called the Jewel Box Theater at the, at the Rendezvous, and it's a tiny little room, and it's where my music career got started. We you know my first shows were all in this room because the way you would book it is you would walk into the bar and there'd be like four sailors and like two 60 year old floozies all, you know, sitting at the bar. One guy would be smoking because it's a Tom Waits song. It was absolutely a Tom Waits bar and you would walk in and there was a book on a, on a lectern and you would flip the book to like an open date and you just write your name on it. And that was how you booked a show in this bar. You're like, we're playing here on Tuesday. And like the bartender wouldn't even nod at you. They just <laughs> <laughs> And then you would show up, you would have to collect the money. You'd have to have somebody stand at the door collecting money, and then you'd play the show. And then you, the bar didn't they didn't ask for a cut or whatever. They just figured that all of the all of the the, the gimlets they were serving um was more than enough pay. And this is that, really something from another century. It was a great, it was a great deal and a, a wonderful thing for the town. And I think even now they've fixed up the jewel box a little bit. But I think even now it's not that hard to just walk in and say like I'm playing here. But I've been thinking I should do a show there once a week. But I don't know what it would be, Merlin. I honestly don't know what kind of show to do. Should I? Should I rant 
for an hour and then, or should I rant for 15 minutes and then play the electric guitar for an hour? <laughs> Just to let yourself regroup. <laughs> should I, should I, yeah, should I, I rant for 20 minutes, play for 20 minutes, rant for 20 more minutes? I think this is not complicated. I, I, God, at some point, John, I would like to have a role in life of showing you that things are not as complicated as they seem. Yeah. I think you should go and do a show and see how it goes and then try a different thing if that didn't work. But a real, a real, a real easy one would be to just go and uh, do a show and see how it goes. I, I told you off the record, and we'll cut this out, not really, yeah. is that it would be fun for us to alternate between our, our two cities every hmm, month. San Francisco and Seattle. Yeah. yeah. At, a, at a similar sized theater. Yeah. I think just, just go doing it. just sighed a sigh of like, uh, <sighs> I just said that, didn't I? <laughs> I know. I don't like to announce things, but no, but in, but in your case, I mean, this is part of your art where you're yeah. not going to put quotation marks around it. Right. Right. Uh, is that you just just go and do it just go and do it and see what happens i mean you 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 can do some storytelling you can do some song stuff you know it's you know what part of it is is that like there's such a in my head anyway and i suspect in, in a lot of people of a similar age it's your idea of like what a rock and roll show is which is it's a place where you go and like two to five bands play it right. starts late. It's really loud. It's a rock and roll show. And the thing is, it doesn't need to be just that, or it doesn't need to be some kind of ironic bow tie event. Like there could be something in between that, you know, it gets its own definition based on who's doing the show and who starts coming to it a lot. That's, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. there's, I think if you, if the expectations are that low, there's no, which is good. The expectations should be low. There shouldn't be any, any thought that it's going to be, you know, sword swallowers and shit. But like, you know, uh, you could, you could go and, uh, do some, uh, do some songs and do some storytelling, have a guest. You could, you could interview someone. You, mm-hmm. There are various things that you could do. It could be a John Roderick show. Yeah. I was thinking about calling it John Roderick's rendezvous. Hmm. Hmm. Is it rendezvous? Rendezvous. Okay. Because you, you keep pronouncing it rendezvous, and I like the idea that, that it's like an old whore name, name, named uh, Rhonda. <laughs> rendezvous? Rendezvous. Yeah, exactly. It's, think about it. <laughs> oh, rendezvous. No, rendezvous. <laughs> well, I, I feel like uh, the word rendezvous <laughs> is, uh, is, a, is a word with a great, uh, it has a great pedigree in Alaska because we have the fur rendezvous. Every winter, where all the fur trappers come to town, and well, they used to come to town and sell their furs. <laughs> Sounds like a drag event. <laughs> it actually the there is a rendezvous? drag component. Are you coming to the fur rendezvous. <laughs> there's a thing. There's a thing called the Miners and Trappers Ball, <laughs> which is, I swear to you, the huh. absolute highlight of the Alaska social year. Do they bring their homemade snares? Well, if you can get a ticket to the Miner and Trapper's Ball now, I'll put in with you. It's like a heavy ticket. You can't. You, you could it, right now. I'm, t- I'm t- the Miner and Trapper's Ball. These balls. are like serious, like like guys that that, that look like uh, Nanook of the North, or they're wearing the Filson jackets. Like this is hardcore stuff. Well, but it's become a socialite event. Like all of the all of the oh, big heavy hitters up there all go in their big wolf jackets, like. You're, you're supposed you're supposed to wear your your full on Alaska finery, but they're all in tuxedos. They're just in, fr- in fur. No, it's a wolf tux. Tuxedo. Yeah, it's a wolf tux. But uh, but yeah, the it's a big deal up there. And uh, but f- for rendezvous has become a, a huge festival in Alaska. They have they build a, a ice castle. Uh, they used to they used to have this amazing thing, which was they would build they would build big snow berms in the streets downtown and they would have vintage car races on 
ice through the center of town. Hmm. And the way they kept the cars from crashing into buildings was they just built snow berms up the side of the buildings. That's thoughtful. It was really, it was pretty amazing. I don't know if they do that anymore. How about John Devu? A John Devu. Is that too, too clever by half? It's a little cute. Yeah, I feel it's like a little cute. Yeah. I, it might, that might be a, some, a thing that fans say. Are you going to the John Devu? Oh, that's good. Yeah, but I would have to keep it straight. Yeah. I would have to be like John Roderick's rendezvous. I like the idea of you in a wolf tuxedo, though. You know, oh, this is so infuriating to me. A really good friend of mine, a childhood friend of mine, her father had a wolf, a full-on, like, knee-length wolf jacket. Well, I, I have no context for what wolf looks like when it's made into a, a wearable pelt. Is it? Is it like a? Is it like a law? It's, it's, it looks like dog. It's like dog fur, it's basically. Dog, it's dog fur. <laughs> it absolutely is. You gonna buy a fancy dog fur coat? <laughs> it's very full. In, in most cases, kind of gray, white, speckled. It's the marks where people were petting it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, but it's a much thicker pelt than a dog. Sure. Um, yeah, but it's a dog, basically. It's a dog coat. A full-length dog coat would be pretty sweet. He had a full-length wolf coat, and it was a vintage coat. He had, he bought it in the 70s, and I think he bought it, he bought it from David Green, Master Furrier, and it was already (laughs) an old coat. Anyway, so he's got this coat, and I was like, uh, you know, I had an interest, I had my eye on this coat for many years. Sure, who wouldn't? And I talked to my friend, and she's like, oh, my dad is selling his wolf coat. And I said, he's what? Like, am I not like a son to him? And so I, so I contact him, and I'm like, so the wolf coat. Like, let's wrap. And here's what he says. You couldn't afford it. Ooh, wrong thing. And I was like, I beg your pardon. Hmm. And then he puts it on eBay, and he was right. I, I could not have afforded it. Was it over $1,000? It was. <sighs> Apparently, a, a full-length wolf, vintage wolf parka is, a, uh, is an item of some, of some price. Oh, my goodness. I just Googled it. Are they all this pimpy? They're very... Well, see, so this one was an Alaska This is not one. made from a single wolf. No, no, no. A lot of wolves had to, had to die to make the coat. Yes. A lot of wolves had to be snared in the snow and gradually chew on their paws... Until they died to make a coat that beautiful. My goodness. Um, There's a lot of wolves in this coat, it looks like. Yeah, and there and so it's an extraordinary garment. It is not a thing that you're gonna wear around. You're gonna wear when you wear the wolf coat, you are you are <laughs> communicating to everybody that you are a fucking lunatic. <laughs> And is, it seems like it would be kind of like wearing a kilt. Like I've always thought that to, to wear the utila kilt, you must primarily step zero. You must be a person who enjoys talking about wearing a utila kilt, which in my experience, 100% Venn diagram overflow. It seems to me like if you wear a wolf coat, you would be pretty into talking about your wolf coat. Well, yeah, unless unless you were also like swinging a baton or whatever, like the wolf coat is either like, come talk to me about my wolf coat. Like somebody or, on the drill team? Or get the fuck out of my way. Right. Oh, like a, like a big stick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm talking about like, like you, you are, you're basically carrying a cattle prod or whatever. Like a wolf coat is not even a thing that you would like get in and out of a car wearing. You just show up in the wolf coat. Nobody knows how you got there. 
And when you leave at the end of the night, you disappear into the mist. It'd be kind of cool if you were pulled along on, on some kind of a, 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 a carriage by fearful wolves. <laughs> or yeah, or you had some, your, your, the bottoms of your shoes were like little waxed <laughs> snowboards and you just walked out and just grabbed well, I think it sounds like, it sounds like a DC villain. It sounds like a Batman villain, you know, where you're basically like this, like a fetishist, right? Yeah. Like, like Batman has bat everything. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. The Riddler's got question marks. You could be like Wolfman. Yeah, you have two wolves part you like tied up out in front of the club. Your your shoes are snowboards, and you're you walk out. On, you're gnawing on a wolf. You grab walking. a hold of their reins, and they just start pulling you down the street. And you're just you're just out slack. of respect. Yeah. Oh my goodness! And and do you have a sense of like what what if, what it really finally went for? I, I some of these auctions it's hard to tell. So it's, it's definitely over a thousand. You think it's a ten thousand? Yeah, this one this one was a was a primo wolf coat and i mean honestly i have to admit that i would be i would be hard pressed to have an occasion to wear it and i would be a little ashamed to wear it but the idea that this wolf coat which had been in my basically in my extended family would go to some stranger it's nice to be asked yeah some person in chicago who's like i'm gonna wear a wolf coat or (laughs) elon musk paul allen yeah some some jag off if I was a billionaire entrepreneur, I would I would probably have a collection of uh, of, of very overpriced, em- embarrassing, silly things that I didn't yeah. tell anybody about. I could see having like like a whole vault somewhere, just 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 full of exotic animal pelts. Well, you know the the I hate to say this, I really do. I am ashamed of myself for saying this right now, but the. Mega Millions Lotto, Merlin, is up to $550 million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went to the gas station. I was driving in my car, and I was like, the lotto is five hundred fifty. I thought that was in Florida. Well, it's, it's, all, it's throughout the country now. Oh, you could just, anywhere, you can just go buy one of those tickets. Yeah, it's just that most of the winners are in Florida. Well, so because, the losers. Because an overwhelming <laughs> number of people who buy lottery tickets live in Florida. Turns out. But I so several years ago I had a thing where when when the lottery would get above three hundred million, mm-hmm. I would say you know I don't play the lottery, but three let's say three hundred million is my threshold. Where if it's above three hundred million, I'm going to buy a lottery ticket just because that is crazy money. That is hilarious money, and to win it would just be fucking hilarious, like. It might as well be you, you know, and somebody's, right. somebody's got to win it, right? So anyway, it's at $550 million. I'm driving down the street in my car, and I'm like... That's like five times what we gave to the Contras, isn't it? It's, uh, it's, an, it's, an, it's an unfathomable amount of money. It, it is, even, after, even if you take the cash option and after taxes, you're still going to have $300 million. That's a lot of money. So I drive, I'm driving down the street, and I'm like... I'm it's over the 300 million threshold and I'm just going to go buy a lottery ticket. I'm just going to do it. I don't, I I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed of myself alone in the car, but here I go. And I went into the gas station and the guy didn't look up from his phone. He knew Uh, why you were there. He was, he was playing angry birds. And I was like, I want to buy a lottery ticket. And he was like, "Uh uh-huh. How much? And I, because I like to have everything explained to me every time I was like, why don't you explain to me how it works? And he, like, seriously, never raised his eyes up from the phone. He was like, dollar a ticket. And I said, also, so... Also, not, not many people just go in and buy one for fun, tee-hee. It's an investment in their future. Right. And, yeah. and so I'm like, so if I buy $1 gets me one number and $2 gets me two numbers? And he's like, that's right. 
And I, and, you know, my, and honestly, my first thought is, I know that the guy who sells me the ticket, the gas station that sells me the ticket, that guy gets a cut. And I'm already resenting the money that I'm going to have to give. I'm already <laughs> resenting the fucking $20 million that this guy's going to get if he sells me the winning ticket. Because he's, he's not even participating in this with me. <laughs> but then I do, I do an even crazier thing. I say, five bucks. And I get five tickets. That's not that crazy. I mean, well, it's, it's stupid to buy lottery tickets at, at all. But if you're going to do it, you might as well buy a hundred. Well, but this is the problem because how do you think? How do you think they get the five hundred million? I mean, so they, that's right. They get it from people going in and spending their paychecks <laughs> exactly. on it. Exactly. But I'm thinking, if you're going to buy a symbolic lottery ticket, how do you buy five symbolic lottery tickets? You have just cut the symbolism in fifths. Hmm. But it's still I, the same size pie. What? Wait, so you're saying that's not enough for too many? You think you should just get one? I think you should just get one because Tee-hee. it's a symbolic lottery ticket. Right. You're, you, you, the, the chances of winning are not the point. Oh, and you're you pissing no right in the of eye winning. of luck. You're saying, you know, I don't even fucking care if I win. It's just that it's, I, it's reached the point where it's nominally sensible for me to try and make $300 million by going to the gas station. So right. I will go ahead and kick in $1. I'm not an idiot. I'm not going to buy five. And you're not like going to go buy like a block with other folks from your office. You're not yeah, going to like go, well, I mean, if you're trying to reduce you know. your, your, your odds or whatever, you could buy a million of them and still have no chance of winning. I just, I just, uh, 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 yeah. I don't even, I don't even take coupons at Walgreens. Yeah, I yeah, got yeah. chased out of my, my daughter and I were chased out of the store yesterday by the guy at the counter. Cause he'd given me some kind of something, something $10 coupon. And I, there's never been a coupon that wasn't a, like for suckers. Wait a minute. Was this a, was this a, they live test? I, I didn't have my glasses with me. 